Welcome to the Endless Wealth Podcast. I'm a mama of two little ones, owner of a multi seven-figure real estate portfolio, and I'm your host, Sarah Miskelly. My mission is to show ambitious, high-performing women in business how they can stop chasing money at work and start making passive cash flow and build wealth from real estate investing. Just be ready because with the right ideas and advice me and my phenomenal guests will share in each episode, you will see things differently than you ever thought possible. All right, let's get into this week's episode. Today, I'm so excited to be speaking with Sabrina Guler. She is the founder of TechRester, which is a 65 million short-term rental fund that has just exploded in its success, only having been around for a few years. They operate short-term rental properties across the U.S., a lot in Arizona, where she's from. And we have a great conversation just about the transition she experienced going from employed at Apple to being the head of this incredible business, the things she's learned along the way, and also looking at that something more that we are always searching for. Sabrina goes deep in to Airbnb strategy that her team has employed to achieve that rapid growth and gives a little bit more insight into what she sees happening in the Airbnb sector over the next few years. This was a wonderful episode. I loved talking to such an incredibly established woman at a young age. Make sure to tune in to the end for all the nitty gritty on Airbnb specifically. Can't wait for you to listen to this week's episode. Sabrina, as we grow older and evolve in our personal growth, we often unlearn beliefs or perception. Is there something significant you've unlearned in your journey towards running a $65 million short-term rental fund? Oh my God, there are so many things I've unlearned. Um, Especially coming from W2 world, I think a lot of us are so focused on like individual thinking um so it's like you know i work hard and i get my own check and if i do this then i'll get this and it's very like one way in one way out and i think running a business um after it gets to a certain size definitely has you thinking more in a team perspective and it forces you to become a leader um and a different kind of leader than what you're what you were used to because you're you know, paying people first before yourself, you're, you have to be so sure of the vision that you have created for yourself to make sure you can incentivize people with that same vision and hope that they can carry it into their own lives. So confidence and certainty of what you're building. Um, and also just thinking about others before yourself. I think that's a, I know that sounds so simple, but when you're building something, especially when you're leaving a job, you're like, okay, well, I just, I'm going to make this revenue. It has to match my salary. And then when you go to building a team and when you have to rely on people, especially on things that you might not be good at yourself, um, which was a new thing. I'm like, oh, wow, I can't be good at everything. Um, I have to be really good at a few things and then hire out those things. So honestly, it's been, my leadership style has completely changed and how I view uplifting others has also been very different. That's very interesting. And it's going to lead into my next question, because we know that you come from a background of Apple and that company, I think for all of us, I personally am a total Apple convert, (laughs) Uh, but you're incentivizing people, like you said, to buy into that Apple vision. So when you left your career at Apple and started TechVestor, can you share like the key moment that led to that decision 
And I think the secondary question would really be, what have you brought from Apple, you know, to you in this role of tech buster? Okay, two, I'm going to try and keep it not so long, but two really good questions. Um, The first question, I always knew that I wanted something more. Like I always knew that I wanted to have, you know, all the things that you hear all over the internet, you know, like flexible time, you know, financial freedom. Like I knew I always wanted that, but I I knew that it wasn't going to be super easy to get there. Um, so, you know, I, I was with Apple for a few years and I didn't feel that way until I was in like year three. And it was really COVID that pushed me to think that way because I had been traveling a lot as most of us, I mean, on the road, right? Like you're on the road, traveling to different places, experiencing other things. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like I've never, I had never experienced life like that before. So that was, you know, somewhat of a push. What really pushed me is that Apple had asked me to come back and move to San Francisco. And I had found so much joy in my life here in Arizona. So I was used to sunny days and being close to family, um, you know, creating my schedule. And it was a really harsh awakening for me to to go back. I, I never forgot I went to go visit to look at apartments um, to see if it felt good to like recreate my life there. And it felt so off. I was like, oh my God, I built so much in Arizona and I love real estate so much. And it actually pushed me. I always joke around with people. I'm like, it actually pushed me towards like a legitimate existential crisis <laughs> because I had spent eight years building such a prestigious career that I realized like didn't make me happy. And I'm really happy I had that existential crisis or awakening at that age, you know, a few years ago, because it it made me it it forced me to question some really difficult um, things that and they were difficult only because I knew the answers and I didn't want to accept them. The second question that you asked me uh, how does Apple translate into TechFester? It translates so much. So it's funny, I'm I'm mentoring someone right now who works at Apple, who's on a similar path. And he asks me all the time, he's like, how did you like translate your skills? And I'm like, well, let's talk about what you like like to do in your job, what you're good at, what you what you enjoy doing like within your role. And then let's see how it applies to other things. So like, uh, for example, at Apple, I was used to managing people. I was used to creating a lot of process and structure. And I'm actually naturally good at those things. Like you can give me any situation and I can like organize it for you and put it into a place where it's running efficiently and people know what they're doing and things are, you know, things are moving along. I'm very driven by like progress. And that's exactly what I do for my business. Like I just build things so that people can work well and be successful and they can do what they're brought to do for the company. So, um, not to go on a tangent here, but I, I, this has really helped me think about my work. So for, for whomever is listening, I like to look at three different zones when I work. So I have like my zone of genius, and then I have my zone of excellence, and then I have my zone of competence. And a lot of this has like transferred from Apple. So I feel like it's helpful. 
but your zone of genius is the thing that if you were to get paid to do, you would get the highest ROI back for your work. And then your zone of excellence is something that you're really, really good doing. You could do it with your eyes closed, but maybe you don't enjoy it as much as your zone of genius. And then your zone of competence is like, honestly, you're probably not the best person to do it, but if you had to do it, you could do it. And so I like to operate within those two first zones. I mean, I have to do all the zones because I run a business. So I have to do a bunch of stuff I don't like to do, but I definitely operate. I operated with my zone of genius and my excellence at Apple. And I still do now at TechBester in very similar ways. That's incredible. And I just, from people that I know who've worked in the Apple space, there there is a, a usefulness to W2. And I think that that's one of the things in our entrepreneurial space where we kind of discredit <laughs> the value of a W2 a lot of the times, but it seems like from a lot of people that I know, they've really taken some of those skill sets and, and 10x their growth in their own business when they're able to leverage, like you said, that zone of genius skill set and just put it into their own entrepreneurial venture. So I really like how you highlighted that. Uh, and made it clear for people. And, you know, when you look at one specific strategy or tactic that you have been employing in TechFester, because this isn't a long time that you guys started it, and to have it at 65 million, it's significant, especially when you're talking about leaving Apple only a few years ago. Um, what would you say is that one specific strategy or tactic that played a significant role in your growth? I don't know if it's strategy. I will say it's a, it could be like a muscle that you exercise over time. And I, I saw someone on LinkedIn post about it similar the other day, but it's so true for anyone stepping into entrepreneurship. It's like your ability to make decisions very quickly and basing that on a vision that you have for yourself. So like if it's, it should be super clear, it might be scary. It might be risky. It might be emotional, but you're able to make it fast and you're able to pivot fast. So as quickly as you made the decision, you can also make another one. And we, as a company, we've just been so fluid and adaptive towards moving and moving fast. Um, and I, I, I know that sounds very broad, but even if I like take it back to when we first started, right, we were like, okay, let's just get eight people to invest with us in an LLC structure. And like, we didn't overthink it. We're like, let's just see if this is even a good thing. Like we didn't even have like this grand vision for what we were doing. We knew we wanted to do something big, but we needed to try it. Like, I think a lot of entrepreneurs just try things very quickly. You're just spot testing because I think we're so used to failing that the failure doesn't scare us. It's just more like, okay, let's fail as fast as possible so we can find what works and then get really good and highly competitive at what works. And, um, and that's where that decision-making went. So like, you know, partnered up on a couple of small JV deals. They went really well. Then we were like, okay, how do we benefit these people? Let's move into a fun direction. Then that opened up. We quickly raised a lot of money. I think the first like three weeks, we raised like 8 million or 9 million, something around there. And then it was like, okay, well, how do we allocate this money? How do we operate it? And and it was just making some really good, quick decisions that ended up taking us in, into some really good places. Now that doesn't happen all the time, but I think you will find yourself with more success doing that rather than not doing it at all. Because also doing nothing is also a decision too, but it's it's always the one that you don't want, mm -hmm. right? Because there's something pushing you to like do more or, or explore it. So anyway, long story short, the strategy that we've done and we still do today is we think fast and um, 
and we weigh everything out very quickly. Yeah, what I like that you highlighted though is all of us look at scale, 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 go, go, go. And you did do that. But it sounds like you you tested the market and you looked at the product market fit first and foremost. Like, do people actually want this product? You didn't make Tech Fester, you know, set up this huge fund from the get-go. You looked at what was actually happening in the marketplace. And I think that in and of itself is is a very good strategy that not everybody employs because everybody wants the end result without starting at a JV. Um, so I think highlighting that is very helpful for people to understand that they can go big fast, but you do want to start small in a sense to get there. Um, and you've kind of pivoted as well in your journey and you've now created a podcast and brand about chasing that elusive something more that we all seem to want, uh, especially entrepreneurs that are in Western society. I think that's always that scale or die mentality that we're kind of bred into in a sense. And how have your personal goals changed, if at all, since beginning Packbuster? Yeah, I think um, one thing I want to add to, to the last question, because I think it's actually really important for your listeners. Um, another thing we we based a lot of our decision making around is like, what's actually profitable? Because I think, you know, you see so many deals, you can raise money for so many operators. And it's like, who's profitable? What does this mean for me? How does this convert? What does the deal look like? And so when we moved quickly, we were like, we're happy failing fast, as long as we understand that the model we're going towards is profitable. I think that's really important too, to remember that because you can like raise money for someone, but it's if the deal is not structured right, then what are you getting for all of that? You know, in terms of my personal goals, it's so funny. People are like, yeah, business changes you. It 1000% has changed me. I I do not think of life the same. Um, it has it has created the lens for me to see what I needed to change personally, but also professionally. Um, I've seen the worst sides of myself running a business. I've seen the best sides of myself running a business. So I, I, it has definitely pushed me to be very present and take pauses in life to understand like what is really serving me um, from a fulfillment perspective, because there's so, you know, creating a business is such a wild ride. It takes you on so many different points from an emotional roller coaster view that you question if it's all worth it. And, and it's a hundred percent worth it. I absolutely love what I do. I love the company. I love the team, but it also forces you to create a long-term vision for yourself. You're like, how long is this business going to last? How long is it going to be profitable for who's on this ride with me? And for how long, you know, like who am I stuck with? Right. I, I'm kidding. I, I love all the people I, I work with and I love my partner too. But yeah, I think it's, I think as entrepreneurs, we are always, and even not right. Even if you're in a W2 and you're climbing the corporate ladder, I think, I think we're always chasing something more. Um, and I think a part of that is human nature and how, how our society has changed in the last 15 years with technology and our exposure to things and opportunity and even just like COVID. Right. Um, and so anyway, I, I, I am always, um, on the pursuit of fulfillment and I'm always trying things and exploring things as an ind individual. So I started a brand called something more, and it's really for the high achiever, successful, either entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur, um, to really understand themselves and to really go on that self-discovery journey so they can 
you know, create that vision for themselves that's always changing and like embrace that part of ourselves. I think the old way of thinking is like stop chasing and, you know, stick to one thing. And I, I am totally for being present. And I do consider myself to be a pretty present person, but I love to lean into that side of me because I think there's so much we can gain as people questioning ourselves and discovering new pieces. And I think that that can go into so many different things. It can go into new business opportunities, new relationships, new friendships, um, you know, new ways of just viewing life. So anyway, very long answer, very long, long-winded answer, but that, that is how, um, that's how my perspective has changed since I started TechFester. Well, it's, it's passion. All I hear is passion. I don't hear long-winded. It's clear that you've had learned so much in the past few years. Uh, by going into this endeavor. And there is so much value in that because it's real, it's real life. It's really running a business. It's a running and scaling a very large, successful business very quickly that this kind of model, I think you touched on technology, you know, this model may not even have existed, you know, a few years ago. And you've been able to leverage technology. I mean, it's even in your name to really maximize that opportunity in conjunction with real estate. So I think that that is in and of itself a great, um, you know, symbol of that, rapid growth that's something more that you're obviously very very excited about so i can't wait to see what else you bring up with the something more brand um and i'll definitely be listening when you have your podcast and all that stuff and you know to an actual person that is looking to invest like let's say somebody wants to invest in TechFester or any kind of other passive deal where do you see this model going in the next 10 years and what advice would you give to somebody that is just getting started investing as an LP, which is a limited partner, which is a passive investor. Um, model specific to TechFester or just in general syndication and... Start with TechFester. And then I think because you have so much knowledge of the industry, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you see happening outside of TechFester as well. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I wish I could, you know, bring out a crystal ball and tell anyone what's going on in 10 years. But I think the passive investing space has become super saturated. I mean... I'm a passive investor on a ton of deals and I get bombarded with so many different deals. And to be honest with you, it, it comes down to like, who's the operator? Do you trust them? What's their track record? And, uh, you know, with TechFester, we're, we are a fund that's focused on, you know, purchasing single family homes. We convert them into Airbnbs and we're fully integrated. So we, meaning we buy all of our homes, we remodel all of our homes, we furnish them, we design them. We do that all of in-house all that in-house. And then on top of it, we just took property management in-house, which was a huge undertaking. And uh, and I'm, I'm honestly, as a business owner, it was a pretty gruesome process in the sense of hiring and doing all that. But it makes us an incredible operator. It's really hard to compete. We're the only people out there who, you know, we operate as a fund and we're the operator for our fund. And we understand our business hundred percent because we've had to compartmentalize each of those businesses and become very competitive compared to other people that are doing the same thing individually out there. So I think it's all about having a good operator. It's all about understanding your operator, what they care about, what their goals are. There's a lot of people in this space with different goals investing. You should know what what your goal is. Do you need want your money out over a certain period of time? You know, your structure for taxes. What are you interested in? What do you believe in? What are you naturally curious about as an investor? And really start to lean into that and work with operators who are a match for that. Because at the end of the day, um, especially when we get into some weird market territory, 
you are going to see people's character and their values come out overnight when when things get rough. And I'm happy to stand on the side of business where <laughs> we know our business really well. We know our margins. Um, and and we take pride in our knowledge, right? And especially our team. So if you're someone that's just getting started, I would make sure that you know who you're working with and um, and you really truly understand your operator. That's great advice. And it is becoming very clear after the last few years, what's worked and what hasn't. And since you are basically an expert in Airbnb, we'll just, let's just say it, where have you seen the space change in the last few years? Has it, has it shifted a lot with the other, like other markets, the other type of syndications that are all maybe multifamily based or self storage? What's happened in the last few years with Airbnb specifically? Oh my God, it's changed so much. Like, I don't even know where to start. I think uh, <laughs> like the, I mean, there. First of all, let's uh let's talk about the Airbnb like bust situation because I love to, I love this topic. Yeah, there's a crazy amount of over, over you know it's oversaturated. There's a new Airbnb that pops up all the time. There's actually not that many Airbnbs in the U.S. as you would think. There's only one point I think there's only one point seven million Airbnbs oh. in the U.S. So there's not that many. The problem is that there's many in it like in terms of like how they're all together and congested in a space. A lot of people ask me, especially like new investors who want to do it themselves are like, oh, well, like, how do you know what markets to invest in? And how do you guys know that you're not going to get oversaturated? And, and to be honest with you, we were highly competitive in, in two places. So one, if I were to pull up my phone right now, and I've done this so many times with investors and like fund managers at like parties and places. If I pull up Scottsdale, I filter out like a four to five bedroom and I just leave it without zooming in to anything. 10 of our homes pop up. So, you know, we're just, we're highly ranked on Airbnb. We're on page one, front and center. We have the arguably the best design and amenities. And it's just, if you're a shopper on there and you're looking for a home to split two families go on vacation, you're probably going to pick our homes because we have so many amenities. And we're also on the first, second and third pages of Airbnb. So we're slowly starting to buy up the markets that we're in. I think in our larger markets, we have like 30, 40 homes in each market. So it, it, we're getting to a place where if you're on Airbnb, you pull up the app, you know, you're going to see our homes. They all don't look the same. They're all different. So I think that's that's one thing that differentiates us. I do think the space is getting saturated. I do think that if your design doesn't stick out, if you don't have amenities that people are looking for, and if you're not on the app constantly measuring your pricing, you're just not going to get very far with your revenue. You might make great revenue. You might do okay. But in terms of like actually being competitive in this space, it's not as easy as it was a few years ago. And I started maybe like three, almost four years ago. And I remember I could put anything up and I was like, holy shit, it, it rents, you know, and now, now you have to really know what you're doing. So that's, that's my, that's my, uh, that's my opinion on Airbnb right now and where it's headed. Yeah, well, and it just gives more credit to TechBuster because you have to kind of go with the people that are experts in that field to then achieve that success. It makes more sense for somebody to potentially passive invest in a deal like that versus trying to then learn the entire marketplace of Airbnb and step into those saturated markets. So that's me just being excited about your brand. Um, I think what you're doing is phenomenal. And thank you so much 
for sharing all your insights and knowledge today. I know it's incredibly helpful uh, for people that are exploring these type of options and, you know, learning what you're up to. So thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Awesome, Sabrina. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Endless Wealth Podcast. If you loved what you heard here, please leave me a five-star review on Apple. It would mean the world to me to get this information out to more people like you.